0: Previously on Podular Modcast, Episode 1. I want to ask, Mm -hmm. what are the dream interviews with living musicians, designers, manufacturers? Oh, people I'd like to get on the show? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if we're talking like dream, yeah. Um, Suzanne Chiani would be amazing. Pod Pods. Can you believe it? It's happened. Suzanne Chiani is on Podular Modcast, episode 60. How cool is that? I'm pretty excited about it. Um, as you heard in this little, little intro clip there, that Suzanne Chiani was brought up in the first episode when Ian asked me who some of my dream guests would be, and I honestly didn't think that it uh, it was going to happen. Uh, you know, Not in the way that it did, certainly. I didn't think that I would be going to her house and hanging out with her out on her beautiful patio vista, looking out over the Pacific Ocean, it was so cool. Um, we went down there. Uh, Ellison Wolf of Waveform Magazine and I uh, It was before the the magazine was released, and he was still re- uh, really putting it together. And uh, so so we went we went down there to talk to her for the magazine. And because of that, it's not going to be a typical um, podular podcast format. We we were inside, we were outside. I was recording, I was not recording. We were basically just hanging out. We were there for a few hours and we ate food and, uh, yeah, we talked since we talked tennis. Um, it's so, it's, it's definitely, this episode is more of just like a fly on the wall of us just hanging out with Suzanne Chiani. And going up there, I was really nervous, um, because a few days before I went down to San Francisco, I watched the, uh, the Suzanne Chiani documentary uh Born in Waves and I was just like you know I I was a huge fan before that and then watching that was kind of like oh my god I'm going to go meet her and it was it was very I was nervous as I said um but she's so disarming and sweet it was just like it was it was so comfortable almost instantly she gave us a nice tour of her place and it's a beautiful beautiful home um so yeah we got to sit out overlooking the Pacific ocean for part of the talk. We were inside. She patched up her boucle a little bit, but it's not very formatted because I was recording some parts and not recording. We we're moving around. We were basically just hanging out. So, um, and I didn't want to be like a kill buzz and just be like, uh, so I'm going to record now. And like, you know, so I just let it flow naturally. And what you're going to hear is just what I think is, uh, the, the best snippets. Now we were outside for part of it and the wind, kind of got into the microphones um so the audio quality can get a little rough but it's only in a few spots it's it's pretty it's pretty negligible how how much the audio is affected by that um and i think you'll just get uh swept away in um the charm that is suzanne Ciani. um i can't thank her enough i can't thank ellison enough for setting it up um and if you want to read the the um the transcript and the the formatted version um and you haven't subscribed to way magazine yet you should definitely do that a lot of people are responding really well to it ellison and his wife M did such amazing work and he worked so so hard to put it together um so yeah way if you want to go check that out we got some stuff to talk about beforehand Uh, before we get into this chat with Suzanne Chiani. I know I don't don't really want to keep you waiting too long, but, you know, we got some business. Um, I want to talk about October 5th, 2019 at the substation in Seattle, Washington. Um, Modular Seattle and Patchworks present Velocity, a trade show synth meet with workshops and performances. I'm going to do a live podcast there, and I don't think I can announce the lineup yet, but... I've seen it and it's pretty remarkable and there's going to be some pretty cool people on the live panel of the live show. So if you are in the Seattle area or are thinking about coming on a vacation to Seattle, do it around October 5th. Uh, Velocity and go to velocityseattle.com to uh, keep an eye out on how you can get tickets. They're on sale now, so if you if you want to do it, I would get on it. Um, I'm not sure if they've announced the uh, the lineup as of the recording of this intro, but velocityseattle.com. I also want to talk about uh, I had Eric Needham on the uh, the show a few months ago, and uh, his cases are. are are remarkable um if you haven't listened to that episode i'd go check that out he also is in the san francisco area but he does like craftsman like fine furniture all like the most beautiful cases and they are um no no next one is the same as the last they're they're all like complete there's he doesn't have like a, a a form that he uses they're all just yeah I'm kind of going off on this but uh, uh, yeah, each case is unique work of art, um, truly handmade from a wide selection of solid hardwoods, modern modern Danish aesthetic with bomb-proof traditional hand-cut joinery, no limitations on size, uh, with sample galleries of cases from 9U up to 24U so yeah, you should definitely go check out NeedhamWoodworks.com that's N-E-E-D-H-A-M W-O-O-D-W W-O-R-K-S dot com and there might be one on the way in the mail to me pretty soon so uh, definitely be uh, showing that off when that arrives I also want to tell you there are uh, there are a couple new modular podcasts joining the fold and i'm super pumped because they're hosted by some of my friends and they're gonna i've listened to uh well, one is already out and it's called, uh, esoteric modulations. And that's with Ed Ball, who's a, uh, a visual artist, but also modular synthesis and our good buddy, Ben Wilson, AKA Divkid. Uh, they've got two episodes out so far as of this recording. Um, the first guest was Kyle Swisher, dark sparkler, one of my close buddies and, uh, He's definitely a friend of the show. He hosted he he hosted the 50th episode where he interviewed me, so that was pretty cool. Um Kyle Kyle's a good dude and speaking of Kyle, he also has a new podcast coming out. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that later though. Um I also want to um just once again tell you how excited I am about the masters that I got back from my album music to come down to from uh Nathan Moody over at obsidiansound.net. Um, I'm just over the moon on how how good they sound. He made me sound better, which is always a plus. And the uh, the whole the whole interaction, the whole back and forth, and and just making it happen the way that I wanted it to. He just facilitated that so well, so easy to work with. Um, so if you have any desire for mixing, mix notes, or mastering of a project, go to obsidiansound.net. Uh, to learn more, and tell them that I sent you, and you'll get yourself a little discount. And in fact, the song that you've been hearing below is uh, from my new album. That's going to be on Flag Day Recordings, um, out of Pennsylvania. So check out Flag Day, uh, really cool label. I'm really stoked that I'm going to be label mates with Todd Barton, which is pretty fun. Um, and if you go to Flag Day's uh, SoundCloud, there's a sneak peek of the uh, of my new album with this song that's playing below us right now and you can hear it without my yammering over it and speaking of Nathan Moody he has a new album out on uh, Modular Field which is an awesome uh, record label which we've talked to uh, Martha Barr aka um, Panic Girl she has a release out on that as well so go check out Nathan Moody's new stuff um, I've been listening to R. Benny's new album too it's fantastic so I highly recommend checking that out um, I think that's about all the business stuff that I'm going to do right now. Um, oh, definitely check out the new algorithms that, uh, Ex- expert sleepers has, um, added to the Disting mark for really, really cool stuff. And that little Mikey, uh, if you listen to the last episode, I did a pretty fun, um, <laughs> weird demo, um, but yeah, I'm going to be diving into the little Mikey more and diving into the new, uh, the al- the new algorithms for the Disting Mark IV here pretty soon. But uh, I didn't want to hold this episode back from you. And I've, uh, I've been teaching night classes and going to work and trying to do this. So I haven't had time to do any uh, fully fleshed out demos on that yet. Um, but speaking of work, it's a lot of work to do a podcast. If you'd like to go over to patreon.com forward slash popular modcast, um, I'd really appreciate the support. And I've been talking with, uh, my patrons a lot more lately and bouncing ideas of what they, what they kind of, uh, you know, look for, for like bonus content and stuff. And it's been really actually fun just interacting with everybody and I've been putting more bonus content up and they've given me some really great ideas for bonus content. So I'm going to try to start doing the patch challenge every week and then I'll be uploading my patch challenge and a little video, hopefully of it, um, up to the Patreon. Um, also this episode, there is some bonus material, uh, where we, we kind of got off the topic of synths and we're more just, just waxing and waning about whatever and just hanging out. And, um, it didn't really feel like it fit for an, the interview-style episode, but it's definitely fun to listen to. So I'm going to upload that as well uh, t- for the Patreon subscribers. So there's going to be cool bonus content like that. So patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. And with that, let's get into this chat with Suzanne Chiani.
1: <laughs> Isn't this ridiculous?
0: This is so good. Yeah. It's funny, I, I grew up in the mountains, the cascades in Washington, so I've always been a mountain person and my wife has she slowly has turned me into like an ocean like an ocean town person. Just a few trips to the peninsula up there and down to down the one oh one. It's like I could see myself living in a little town like this. And,
1: there are two kinds of people yeah yeah there are the mountain people my cousin in Italy is a mountain person I've always been an ocean person mm-hmm. I get a little claustrophobic in the mountains but yeah. you don't because you're a mountain person yeah
0: yeah Yeah. yes yeah, it's, it's funny I, I never thought I would want to like, live in a place like this I always thought I'd want to be surrounded by steep cliffs and you know glaciers and stuff but, well, know. this
1: this is nice in that it's not, you know, if you live over there, you just get the horizon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky because I get that enveloping kind of land mm-hmm. cuddling. So you got a t-shirt yesterday from Dave. He yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually gave us shirts and shot glasses, yeah. which is pretty nice. He's a tequila guy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, he he yeah. yeah, I just gave him a really cool bottle of tequila.
2: Um, is it in the skull head?
1: uh let's see it was in some kind of very fancy white bottle i mean i just googled what's the best tequila (laughs) so i don't know maybe it had a skull head i i can't remember
0: yeah he had a couple of the skull heads in there on on his desk yesterday what time were you there uh, four, three, o'clock. four o'clock yeah, four oh okay,
1: okay. oh so you can have a drink okay. at yeah. the end of the day yeah we didn't we didn't
0: it was funny we, we ended up meeting up with a, a friend of Ellison's who I met just for the first time last night okay. who actually does software modular software oh. so it's like a, a virtual um, it was pretty cool but he ended up picking a taco place right across the street so we're yeah. eating mm. tacos and looking up we're Like, oh there's Dave right working. There. he's still yeah. working <laughs> it's
2: late
1: awesome yeah. awesome so what is your background? Are you musicians?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I play in a band with my wife. Okay. So, and, uh, Electronic? Yeah, it's partial. It's uh, So we play a Rhodes that I modified, so it's got like a bunch of effects that you can tweak it in real time. It's really cool, mm. the, the railing. And then we've got like a synth on top. We have a Matrix Brute. I don't know if you know that. We used to have a Sub 37 on top. And then okay. computer stuff, and then we have a stand-up drum kit, a regular drummer, and then I play guitar, and we both sing, and we switch around and, and do that. It's kind, kind of Radioheadish, I think. Mm, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice. a little a little more ambient to where we're going towards, mm-hmm. but uh it's nice. It's and you, you write your own stuff. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all original, and we record, yeah. and I have a little studio. And okay. Yeah, and we put out a record and, you know, the whole shebang. You know, you should <laughs> sit here,
1: because I see this view all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm just sitting here saying, well,
2: I'm yeah. so used to it. <laughs>
1: is it, is an, it.
2: Is different? It is different. I was imagining it. it is. But yeah, musician, Tim's musician. And uh...
1: and so your magazine is new age? No, no, no.
2: It's, no. it's actually it's, what it's is it? synthesizer-ish based, but it's uh, it's not like gear focused. It's more people focused. So instead of, I mean, there will be reviews part of it, but most of it's more just, uh, just talking to people in the synthesizer and really the music community because I kind of want to, I'm just going to. Use it for my own excitement, yeah, you know, and interview yeah, yeah. whoever the heck I want to interview. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, tape off, yeah, like, to that. a little more personal. And you know, uh, that guy lives
1: right over there, yeah, oh, oh, Johnny right? B. Yeah, John Bacheloupi,
2: tough name, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I actually met him oh, forever ago.
1: He's a surfer.
2: Yeah, and a snowboarder and a yeah. skater. And, yeah, yeah, uh, he's cool. He's yeah. very cool. And so he
1: has cool. a studio in Stinson. Oh, is that where is? Yeah, it's in Stinson Beach up in the... I knew it was in Marina somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and he lives in San Rafael, yeah. but he's out here a lot. And he, he's taken me oh. out surfing.
2: Oh, yes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. How is that? Well, you know, I, I can't self-motivate, so I really do need a catalyst. So yeah. I'm grateful that he got me out. But my big, you know... Snagging point is that I can't get the booties on, and then if I do get them on, I can't get them off. Yeah. They're tough
2: to get off. They yeah. really are, and you need them too, at least because otherwise my feet gets destroyed.
1: I'm gonna look for some with um, zippers. They must have them.
2: They do for scuba diving. I have some that yeah, they're,
0: they're called scuba? dive masters. Yeah, I yeah. use them for river swimming. Because yeah, you can just walk around
2: anywhere. That's true. You, you probably wouldn't even need like surf-specific booties. You could just get anything that you can zip on and off. That right. Just enough traction. That's flexible.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My feet are just mangled from surfing. Oh. So now I always <laughs> wear booties. Although I haven't surfed them forever, but when I do, it's always with the booties. Okay.
1: So, yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was just to keep warm.
2: Well, that too, but yeah. I mean, usually, you know where like uh, San Clemente is? Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I used to. I used huh. to live in Arrowhead. So okay. when i drive down to San Clemente, I'd go surfing there. But, and it's, it's pretty rocky. So. I'm
1: going to go get some chocolate. Oh, okay, good.
2: I'll be right back. Sure.
0: Do you see whales often? No. No? Not
1: often. I see porpoises or whatever Dolphins, you know. Yeah. Um a lot of seals. Yeah. Mm. This is the new good chocolate.
2: Oh, is that the endangered species? Yeah. Yeah. I like that and my
1: niece who's a scientist, you know, just sent me all the research. <laughs> yeah, nice. And
3: yeah.
1: this is the least contaminated chocolate.
2: Oh. Is that the, that's the deal?
1: And I was told that green and blacks was. Mm-hmm. So I've been you know, that's my chocolate. And it's not anymore. I don't know what happened. I guess they changed, so.
2: chocolate industry just kind of like some crazy boom. Uh-huh. It was just before it was Hershey's and Godiva, <laughs> now.
0: Well, this
1: is 88%. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. idea of this is that it's almost medicinal, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I prefer, like, a, in the 80s. hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise,
2: it's straight sugar, pretty much. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. No, this is actually good for you. Mm-hmm. Flavonoids and whatever. But anyway. <laughs>
2: whatever. Okay.
1: <laughs> Everybody likes flavonoids. <laughs> right. <laughs> whatever
2: those are. I'm waiting for somebody to name their kid Flavonoid. <laughs> um,
1: anyway, first release was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Then it was released by Atlantic Records in the States. Then it was released by uh, Private Music. In the states, then I released it on my own label, Seventh Wave. Okay. Then it had a release on Finders Keepers, All
3: right? Okay.
2: Out of yeah.
1: Manchester.
2: Are you still? You still have your label? Are you still? Uh, I still
1: have my label. My label doesn't do LPs. Oh, okay, just
2: so CDs.
1: It's just CDs, and so now I'm kind of dormant mm-hmm. because, and, and also my music is electronic, you know, in Buchla. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just live Buchla. Yeah. So I don't know if my fan base, you know, is really
2: Yeah, actually, it's, it's funny. It's one of the things we've been talking about. Just, it's almost like a crazy mystery. I wouldn't even say mystery, but it's like, so you started with Bukla, mm-hmm. but obviously you were playing music, like standard, however you want to say it, music before that. And then after that, you went into did, did like your solo stuff, which you built your fan base around. And then in the past few years, the bukla music has had a resurgence. So it's almost like you have two different fan bases and...
1: It is, is bizarre.
2: Yeah. It's it's un, I mean, how does it feel?
1: Well, um it's it's complex. You know, I was brought up classically, playing the piano, got a you know, majored in music at a liberal arts college, got a master's degree in composition out in California. And I was just reminiscing about this because I, I was Back in Berkeley on Monday, just walking around the campus with Joseph, my house guest, who was my boyfriend in the late 60s. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, it must have been surreal. It was (laughs) surreal. At Berkeley? At Berkeley. Yeah, UC Berkeley. Yeah. So when I met Don Buchla, you know, I had a conversion. It was almost religious. Whatever it was, I just stopped... With my classical, classically based stuff, I didn't even want to touch a piano.
2: Were you searching at that time for anything, or just come out of the blue?
1: It, I think, it, I think subconsciously I was searching because I had an inkling of this other possibility when I was still on the East Coast. You know, because Wellesley's brother school was MIT, mm-hmm. and a very tech place. Yeah. And we had a soiree, you know, one evening with the music groups and. The professor there was trying to make a sound with his gargantuan computer, you know, that filled three rooms, you know. And uh, so I, had, I, I knew that there was something, but I'd never seen a, anything that produced electronic sound. When I met Don, and, and I did when I came out, it was an evolutionary process. I, the, the first thing I found was the San Francisco Tate Music Center which is a public access... It was public. It was mi- housed at Mills College, but right. it had nothing to do with Mills. Huh. And they gave me a grant, you know, a Ford Foundation grant, and, you know, it kind of um, jump-started my involvement with gear. With, You know, they had the first Bukla 100. Yeah. They had a lot of uh, military surplus stuff, mm-hmm. just electronic stuff. Yeah. And there was this fascination then... With technology, we had a thing called EAT, Experiments in Art and Technology, run by this woman who took artists and paired them with pure technology people who were frustrated artists working in big companies. And you would be put together and do a project together. So I did a project with somebody who, who did a uh, vidium, you know, where he took the stereo stereo signals and created video imagery. Oh
3: cool.
1: And it was actually well we we worked in San Francisco at the um Palace of Fine Arts where uh Oppenheim Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer built the bomb. He built um something you know after the nuclear mm, bomb Yeah. In order to balance that karma, he started uh, a friendly technology center for hands-on interaction. What was it called? Um, it's in San Francisco right now. Okay. The new version. It started in the pa- in the uh, oh, Palace of so Fine Arts. Oppenheimer. God, yeah. So weird. Yeah. Like
2: to do one thing that is so destructive and then feel guilty about it. It's like. I don't know. You know you're going to feel guilty
3: about.
1: it. Well, what about the woman who whose husband did guns? Yeah, Manchester? Yeah, yeah. don't don't they have something to balance that? I mean, I got her crazy mansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is yeah,
2: it's, it's weird. So, you said
0: you were kind of getting um disinterested in in like playing piano and and then I was I was wondering if like the lack of the the white and black keys on Buchla was maybe something that was, you know, something you were uncomfortable with at first, but it sounds like maybe that was, maybe was that part of that draw, maybe, because you were kind of getting tired of
1: Totally, because I, you know, I I was proselytized by Don. He had a vision. By the time I met him, which was five years after he had initially started, you know, he made his first instrument in 63. And he hadn't yet crystallized his, you know, his vision. By the time I met him, he was really committed to making an alternative uh, interface Mm -hmm. for electronic music, and therefore no traditional keyboard. Mm -hmm. Because what happened, as we know, when Moog put the keyboard on it, everybody thought, oh, it's a keyboard instrument. Mm -hmm. And nobody explored.
2: No. Actually, it's weird even... my but even the history of like synth- the electronic synthesizer, because it, I almost want to say that moog you know the the Mini Moog kind of stopped it for twenty something years because of that. Because people and even me, you know, like I just thought it was a keyboard with a bunch of knobs. And, and really, that is what if you don't see if you don't understand what synthesis is, that's what you think. You're like, oh, it's a keyboard with a bunch of knobs, or it's it's like a Casio with a bunch of knobs, and mm-hmm. it's obviously completely not that. But but it's it's weird. It's like when there was such a, such a huge gap from the, you know, the end of, I guess, somewhere in the 80s to 90, you know, like 20 years maybe or something, mm-hmm. 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm he's not here to defend himself, <laughs> so it's perfectly fine. No. It yeah. makes
0: sense why he he did what he did, too. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, I mean, it's it all makes sense, but I, yeah, I think it, it, it did definitely, it, it put like, it put this like wall up to hide something that a lot of people didn't realize was there, yeah. and that is the exploratory nature of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: of synthesis, really. Yeah.
1: So so I was very sensitive to that, and that's why I completely stopped playing any piano at all. Mm-hmm. Just like I didn't want to be associated with a traditional keyboard. Because yeah. I was out, you know, it was very, it was frustrating in those days, and that's why, you know, Moog did that, because honestly people didn't get it. Yeah. And it was frustrating for me because I was out, you know, performing. Because Don told me it was a performable instrument. Right. It really
3: wasn't. You don't know. it was? I, you it was like,
1: oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I really was good at it back then. I have to say, you know. But uh, it was it was super challenging and uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, But but the whole thing was that when you did perform, you had to explain it. Yeah, to people, mm-hmm. it's like they didn't know where the sound was coming from. They really didn't, and because it's not obvious. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, today I play and I make sure everybody can see me interacting. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, there are a lot of things that, unless you are a synthesist, you don't understand
3: mm-hmm.
1: what that person is controlling. I yeah. mean, there are there are sequences
3: mm-hmm.
1: that are the you know fundamental raw material, mm-hmm. and so you're not doing. The, the essence of it is that it's not one-to-one. In traditional music, you make an action and you get a note. Yeah. In electronics, you make an action and you can... It's a command.
3: Yeah.
1: You could get a note. You can start something. You can stop something. You can transpose something. You can—you know, yeah. You're doing compositional interactions on a larger scale. So it's a composer's instrument, I think.
2: Well, and that's what you're... I mean, is, is that where you wanted to head originally with piano and stuff anyway? Because, I mean, I've read some interviews, and you talked about composition, yeah, yeah. and that's why you're, right? you know, I don't want to rehash <laughs> stuff, you you know, but you were excited that you could actually control the performance. You didn't have to wait for an orchestra to, to give you the exactly. great light, Exactly. Exactly. You know, which is, I think, a lot of, you. actually, it's, it's funny, because if you look at it, it's like you had orchestras, and then you have some other stuff, and then you have, like, Buddy Holly, and you have, like, three-man bands that make a bunch of sound, until now, and you have... You have one-man bands. And, you, and now, you don't even need that. You have somebody that can just press play, and people are into it, and that's it. You know?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not into the pressing play yeah, Me neither. It's, yeah.
2: it's funny. You need the interaction, but it's. I almost feel like those are the extremes. An orchestra or just pressing play. And then you have stuff in between. But obviously, it's like when people see, you know, a modular or even just, a, you know, any kind of performing. It doesn't have to be modular. Even like Nils Fromm. I don't know if you're familiar with him. but. Mm-hmm. Really neat stuff like piano and synths and all sorts of crazy stuff, but it's like it's the performance part that I think really draws people in because mm-hmm. you can have an orchestra that's not that performance oriented. It sounds interesting, and compare that to somebody who does synthesis. I mean, you know, yeah, I
0: think part them. part of that performance is with with modular is that that kind of confusion and intrigue. People see somebody yeah. doing this, and you know when you do this, you don't hear a like, maybe if yeah. a filter, but when every time you do something, you don't hear a sound that corresponds with right. that knob object. Right. So, yeah. I think like that's, I think for people who find that intriguing, it's it's a pretty cool experience. Mm-hmm. For people that don't, it might
2: be
3: kind yeah. of boring. Because <laughs> you're right, <laughs> they're,
2: they're waiting for the change. Anytime you do anything, they're waiting for a drastic change, mm-hmm. like the note change, this tempo change. I don't even know what else would change that would, you know, for the people that aren't really in tune with it, that would actually, like, mm-hmm satisfy what well, they're
0: waiting it's for. It's funny, I was, I was at a show, playing a show with some friends, and um, my wife was there, and she, she made a What really were you playing? Um, modular. Okay. It was a It's a little, it's a concert You're series You're a wreck? Yeah, yeah, I do um, Modular on the Spot. Have you heard of that? It's like a concert series that's popping up cool. all over the place. Cool. Yeah, they
2: do it, in, usually it's outdoors, they do it in parks. Started and... in LA. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've yeah, heard of
3: that.
0: Really yeah, 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 yeah. Dana hafar and mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Great, There's
2: one great. up in Seattle.
3: Like
0: cool. So I was doing one of those, and... There was, there was this one part where, um, our friend Cindy, she did this change mm-hmm. and it was, she just, she just morphed her whole, her whole patch in like one thing. And, and for people who knew what she was doing, like me and my friend Josh were like both like, we like, Oh, like we like yelled, like it was so cool. We both were like,
3: Oh my God.
0: And, uh, afterwards my wife was like, I heard a change when that happened, but because I don't know what's going on there, mm-hmm. like she's like, it almost seems like this music is made for people who understand and use the technology. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping we can kind of move that away see, into... I'm,
2: I have mixed feelings. Like, part of me actually likes the idea that there's such a, a steep entry into synthesis because if you're really interested, then you'll, you'll get into it. And if you're kind of mildly interested, it's almost like there's no way to fully appreciate it.
0: Well, actually, that's uh, that makes me wonder. So you you kind of... Do, do you have, like, completely... Um, kind of isolated, like, different audiences from kind of the, the New Age piano stuff and then the, the bukla stuff? And if so, how much crossover are you getting from maybe, like, the New Age stuff into the Buchla? Like,
1: That's a complex question. Yeah. I mean, I... Uh, I was very concerned when I started doing the live electronic again, mm-hmm. that I would alienate yeah. my... Your core audience. My core audience. Yeah. And uh, that happened, because when Finders Keepers, a small boutique label in Manchester, England, Mm -hmm. asked to release some of my historic stuff, I thought, fine. I I wasn't that aware of how pervasive things are. I thought, oh, nobody will even know it came (laughs) out. It's like, that's okay, yeah, you do that.
3: Yeah, go for it.
1: And then it's up on Amazon, Mm -hmm. and there are fans saying, what is this? This is not a Chani album. Don't just give it, you know? And they they rate it down, you know, low, low, low. And I it made me really like scared because I didn't know that there was going to be this mixing. Yeah. So I became shy, and everything I did, I didn't want any uh, publicity. I didn't want anybody to. I was. I wanted to participate in the bukla thing because that's where my, you know. I spent a good part of my life in yeah. that. But I was shy about having, you know, people, my fans. I didn't want to confuse them.
2: Yeah,
1: It kind of took over, right?
2: It seems like
0: it. Yeah. yeah I was kind, it's of, kind of wondering of a fervor. about that. Did, did the, did the since the, the bookler, that release of that, the older stuff, and you kind of, you know, your recent release and doing more shows like that, have you noticed that maybe the the modular audience has grown even larger than or is it kind of
2: well, similar? I, th- I feel like they're the modular. I mean, people we talk they're fanatics. Yeah. yeah I, it's a different kind of intensity, I think, than an average music fan, for sure. And especially the way that I see it, maybe they see it too. It's like you were kind of like just somewhere else for a while, and maybe they see, like, oh, she's back or something. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing for me. I mean, I say it came out from under a rock because I had no idea that there had been this revolution and renaissance yeah. going on so when I came back you can't imagine how it felt to play to an audience that knew what I was doing oh I'd bad. never ever had that
2: I mean I feel like the you technology didn't have that in the
1: never had oh my God. it well I think that <laughs> never had better. it but
2: that's the thing that you can kind of see because the there wasn't the audience back then period I don't think I mean, when it first came out and the technology is I, I feel like the technology is caught up with you know, what it's day, very uh,
1: electronic, but yeah. what is it? Yeah. Wait a second. It's in time. <laughs> Let me see <laughs> you in. Oh, it's, oh, you might have to move your
3: car. Oh, yeah? Hi.
0: All right, while Suzanne is off talking to the man in the loud beeping truck... Um, I figured I'd take some time to show you a demo of the Dub Matrix from Logane Electronics. I've been saying the uh, website wrong in the last few demos, so I apologize for that. It's uh, logain-audio.com. But it did make me wonder, is there anybody out there who actually types www.xywebsite.com? Right down to the .com, you type that out on your keyboard. If you do email me, I would like to know more about you and just what moves you to your core. But until then, let's check out this dub matrix. Okay, so we have seen how we can control the sounds of multiple modules by passing uh, control voltage through the dub matrix, but how about opening up stuff like VCAs or turning stuff on and off or like bringing your, your wet-dry signal of certain things into the mix. Um, let's Let's see what that's like. So right now, I've got the uh, the usual Tim Held modulation sources going into the dub matrix. Um I've got some maths going in there, some envelopes and some LFOs uh from Ornament and Crime, and I'm triggering a lot of this stuff with the short bus, which is being triggered by Ileana from Omi Industries. Um what's cool about using something like the short bus, which is an OR combiner, to uh to uh kind of shape your your maths output. Is uh, it, it it can it gives some really strange movements. So if you send a regular old pulse into the maths and just get your regular old slope going, and then take uh, one of the outputs from the short bus and put it into the both rise and fall CV, you can get some really really funky modulation. Um, so I've got that going, and I've got some uh, gate sequences coming from Varigate, but let's. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. I'm using the Telharmonic as usual because it's probably my favorite oscillator. It's up there with Angle Grinder, but I use Angle Grinder as other things, so I can't just say an oscillator. Um, But I'm I'm running the uh, output, the H output from the Telharmonic into the stereo VCA from Tom Evans, and I'm going to open that with the dub matrix with all these different... um, control voltages going into it. And then I'm going to run that through the ChronoBlob 2. Um, but I'm going to have the wet-dry mix down on that for now. So let's just check this out here. Uh, this this is the opening of a VCA via multiple control voltages going into the dub matrix. Now let's mix some of these, these up. That's a good blend. Now let's open up a second VCA with the P output from Telharmonic. Same control voltages going into the dumb matrix, but mixed in a different way with the attenuators. And I've got that uh, thats running into a disting ping-pong delay. Now let's bring this blob into the mix. Now I'm controlling the um, the uh, that time stretchy stuff with uh, Maths Channel Four, and it kind of sounds a little messy. Um, what happens if I control the wet dry with the Dub Matrix? So now I'm just gonna pass some of these control voltages through that into the wet dry mix and tame this a little bit. So you're getting some of those cool little warholes and stuff but it's not overpowering the patch. Now let's blend some of the noise from the uh, the, uh, teleharmonic into that first channel that we opened up. I'm running this, actually, the noise output into the CVP1 from the, uh, from the, from Loghain Electronics, and, uh, it's not a typical use of it, but it is a good way to, uh, kind of just mix things in and out, too, and then I'm running that noise through the, uh, the Kith Ruina from Noise Engineering, that's K-I-T-H-R-U-I-N-A, um, pretty sweet overdrive. Let's mess with the drive on the Kith. I'm running uh, one of the channels from the low gain uh, Dub Matrix into the uh, the interval input of the telharmonic, which uh, we've seen before, will control the chord. Let's give us a little bit more movement, and then the final piece from the Dub Matrix is going into the centroid input of the uh, telharmonic. Let's just put some funky uh, low end in there for the hell of it from the Tip Top 1, but I'm also using the CVP1 to pass that noise into the CVN of the Tip Top 1 to crunch this signal up. So let's check this out. some of this down from, let's just the A and B channel down from the dub matrix. a reminder, I'm using this e-channel out from the dub nature to control the wet-dry of the chronoblob 2. If I turn that off, watch how messy this gets. It sounds cool, but it sounds much cooler like this. to mess with the time and go really fast just to see what it's like. Let's see what happens. off with the e-channel, controlling the wet-dry of the chronoglob, back on. And there you have it. That's how you can use the dub matrix, not only to shape the sound of your, uh, your voices, but also the behavior of your voices. So, go to logain audio.com to learn more about the dub matrix, the short bus, and the CVP1, uh, the, the two ladder we are going to um, dive into in a little bit more depth on upcoming episodes. Um, I just like to show you guys how I've been using stuff and while I get to know it, um, but we're going to get a little more technical soon. Um, but I'd like to think that you, from what you've heard, you could think of, oh, I hear he did it that way. I think I could do this. But I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. But I am here to tell you to check out the dub matrix from Logan Electronics. All right, I'm done. Let's get back into hanging out with Susie and Chiani.
1: Too. It's just that right now, you know, since we've revived the past, you know, since the kids are digging into history, mm-hmm. I'm going into the pure history of the Mhm.
2: as
1: if I hadn't done anything left. else.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the crazy part. I think to a lot of people, maybe they don't even realize like... I don't know. I wonder what people think if they're well, just like oh, she's I've just sh- living in her, you know, California house doing bukla for twenty years or whatever. Well, that was and, my you know, a question. I, yeah.
0: I wanted to ask. Yeah, like why while you were
2: well, you didn't have it for a while. It was stolen, right? It was stolen. But
1: half I... half of it broke. Half of it was stolen. Okay. Then yeah, tell the that. Half about of it broke. Cause... Okay, so I'm in New York. I left Berkeley. I moved to LA. Right. And uh, then I moved to New York, and New York was my lifeblood. I just felt synchronous with New York. I loved it. I I didn't mean to move there, but I couldn't leave it. And that was a problem because Buchla was on the West Coast, and the instruments were fragile. Mm. So when the instrument broke, I would ship it back to Buchla. He would fix it. He would ship it back to me, and it would break.
2: And it's a big instrument. That's a
1: yeah. Well, I used to have a much bigger instrument than what I use now. Yeah,
2: that's what I was... Yeah.
1: yeah. But Don knew that portability was an essential factor. And so he designed, you know, the suitcases and how they get packed and everything. And he had a lot of thought process going into survival of these mm-hmm. instruments. And even today, I use a very light case. I don't have a heavy-duty road case. It's too I do,
3: heavy.
1: yeah because they get those big, heavy things and they drop them, whereas mm-hmm. mine is white, delicate, and has 40 fragile stickers. And yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, but anyway, so it would break, and uh, we tried so hard to get somebody to be able to repair them in New York. I had the head of the Audio Engineering Society, uh, John Warham, uh, Buchla came in with the schematics, and his schematics were always a bit... Personal. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you know?
1: So nobody quite could quite understand that It wasn't, you know, an out-of-the-box way to get along. Um, so I had an intervention, you know, when I when I really couldn't play the instrument anymore because it couldn't be fixed, I got really traumatized. Yeah. And my friends said, you know, you, you listen, you've gotta get out of this thing and by that time it had started to evolve you know there were big companies getting involved at that point Yamaha Roland Korg you know whatever and so it was a good transitional time and I did transition to other instruments the synclavier, you know whatever and my studio became the clearinghouse really for all the be- you know beta test site for a lot of companies <laughs> and oh, I had fun. yeah it was fun it was <laughs> cool. it was fun and I had a lot of kids eventually you know in the arc of things eventually I had a lot of uh, synthesis there it became a big studio
2: and this is still New York?
1: this is New York okay. yeah and uh, you know I had maybe 15 huh? you know people working just as synthesis then I had staff for production and uh, you know big studio with you know we we designed the most amazing you know by then midi was in Mm -hmm. and we had midi that was connecting from you know the front studio all the way to the rear studio we had special consoles built with midi interfaces amongst workstations so that five or six people could work together it was very sophisticated but um i got out you know, that's another part of the story that everybody knows. I yeah. got breast cancer and I left. Okay. Uh-huh. So
2: um, so, the, so you just left everything there, including like the Bukla and all your...
1: I left everything and I came out here and revisited the piano.
2: Huh. Oh, that's a good place for it.
1: Yeah. My first album out here was Piano and Orchestra. And I sat at that piano in there and wrote, you know, everything I could see out here. I called in the, the window window pieces and kind of drifted away from... Uh, I did production with the computer. I recorded here. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, MIDI stuff and, you know, uh, but I, my whole tendency was to become more and more acoustic. Meanwhile, I reconnected with Don Buchla. We became tennis buddies. I didn't know our first time around what a great tennis player he was. I, so when did you
2: start playing tennis?
1: I was always in love with tennis. I love tennis. I tried to teach You my,
2: do? I do. And I tried to teach myself. I was living in L.A. and I really... I was just... This doesn't leave the table. I was just a young, drunk, dumbass, basically, <laughs> that tried to teach himself tennis in the middle, like 3 o'clock in the afternoon at, you know... Griffith Park, but but I would watch videos and you know I just I, I was actually like you know I, was, I mean it, it wasn't going. You
1: anywhere. look like a tennis player you have <laughs> a tennis player built yeah. and whatever you know. Oh, I wish whatever. I had more of
2: a tennis player. I mean I love tennis, mm. watching it's But yeah, I mean. Who's your favorite? Oh Len, well, David Lendl. I loved, Oh, you know, that does
1: yeah. date you. Fed, Federer, I
3: was a kid, but in Federer. Well, you know yeah. what?
1: Not Federer actually, is my kid. Actually, favorite.
2: this is even yeah. worse than like being dated. Is like why like Lendl. It wasn't his tennis playing was great. Federer was amazing. It was like Lendl's cheekbones. He had the most amazing cheekbones. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> you should look at this. I mean, he had such a crazy facial structure. Oh, yeah. So, mm. yeah.
1: It's good that we honor him in the past. You know. Yeah. Oh, he
2: was incredible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but if you watch the old ones, the style of tennis totally different. Changed. Yeah. yeah.
2: Actually, it's. It's, it's really, it's fascinating to me. I mean, whether it's football, baseball, tennis, music. I mean, and really, like I said before, I, I really believe that the technology is finally caught off with, you know, with what I think maybe the early pioneers, such as yourself or Buchla or, or Moog or any of them, like what they imagined that it could be. Because those guys were all yeah. in tune with the technology. Yeah, they I knew like in too. five years, the technology is going to be so advanced, you know, and to where we're at now. And, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yes, but on the other hand, you know this illusion that with technology everything's this linear progression of right. improvement i prefer the 200 yeah. to the, two, the 200e
2: well and that's mm. interesting too because i think people do equate technology with improvement but actually if that was absolutely true nobody would be interested in the you know the old performances of kind of anything and it's it's weird you realize there's something lack technology creates something that is also lacking Which is why people are so interested in. Yeah, it's it's almost
0: like it's just like it, like plants plants a seed of like potential or something. It's a marketing
1: tool. Yeah, it is a marketing tool. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get this. It's new. Well, does it make your life
2: better? I mean, that's really (laughs) you know that's that's what I think that's what the Amish they have that question is like, will this make the community better? And it's all about the community, which is you know really.
0: You know what? You know. Pretty (laughs) impressive. That's gonna make the people listening feel better. So we finished the the we went off on a ten, tennis tangent. Yeah, we should talk about tennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Should Are we you, get more
1: water? I'm gonna get sure. another bottle of water. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: This is so cool. Have turkey vultures circling us I while know. we're chatting about this. <laughs> so you've been playing tennis since,
2: like, since you were
1: a kid? Uh, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to play tennis. I was from the east, so you yeah. know, it was very Thank seasonal. Uh, coming to California was a dream because. Tennis is every place. Yeah. So that was the biggest reward that I got moving to California. So, Don and I, you know, I would play, you know, I live way out here. I play tennis over the hill. You still play? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I have an injury right now. Ooh. I don't know what it is. It's really a problem. But um, so once I was over the hill, I was halfway to Buchlo's in Berkeley. And so frequently I would just, you know, because he loved tennis and, and as good. he was so good but over the years of our playing
3: yeah
1: you know he had health issues and in the end I, I called it tennis therapy I was really happy to bring some joy because I know you know when you know when you love tennis it's the ultimate joy yeah. to be on the court and I could give that to him so I would go, we'd find a court, and I'd just hit the ball right to him. Uh, he always got it back, you know.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then we had a conversation at one moment. He said, uh, oh, I had my old, half of my old 200 I had.
2: Right. Oh, so you brought that back from New York?
1: I did. I had that. I set it up here in the living room. It didn't work. And Don said, "We'll send it to Canada. There's a guy up there who can fix it." And he had it for two years.
3: Oh my oh, gosh.
1: And it, it just, you know, he said, "Oh, we can't fix it because, uh, you know, my my most essential module was the Mark." Yeah. And he couldn't fix that. He said the parts, new parts, don't fit, huh. etc. So I just kind of gave up on it, and I donated it. Although they did pay me something. To a museum in Canada. Oh,
3: cool!
1: And that guy later screwed me and sold it. What? Yeah. Really, really. There's so many cloak and dagger stories.
0: Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, um, <laughs> yeah. have you know, Evergreen College in Washington. It's like a liberal arts college, yes. and they, They're they, cool. well, they. I don't know if they still do. They, I, I think they have like a um, an easel, but. They had a big system, and somebody ended up stealing it. They, Are you serious? They don't know who it was or where no. it went. But, like, who is stealing
2: well, this
1: stuff? Yeah, there's some weird people in well, this yeah. field. <laughs> I mean,
2: it, it wasn't, you know, it was a, an instrument for a while, but now it's actually valuable, you know, to some degree. I don't have no idea what it's worth, but it's like... Well, you extremely could, valuable, yeah. I guess.
1: I mean, well, he made degrees. a lot of money selling it. Yeah. I would be performing, you know, in, like, I don't know, England. Wherever I was, people would come up and say, wow, I just bought, you know... One of your modules. I, and one guy came up to me and said, I just bought the empty case for, <laughs> oh, you know, $10,000. And I said, what? Wow. So anyway, this guy, I've wanted to sue him, but, you know, that takes time and I'd have to yeah. sue him in Canada. And that's why he's in Canada, so nobody can catch him. Uh, oh it, it's just disgusting because my goal was that. to have that in a museum where people could see it.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm still, you know.
2: Yeah, It's yours. It's not
1: just my. I I am trying to communicate the the story
3: yeah.
1: of Buchla. Right. The guy was, you know, the Leonardo da Vinci of mm-hmm. electronic music instrument design.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: There's been nobody like him. I know. You know, things are evolving now, but uh, well, he was a pioneer. He like was 100%. a pioneer, Indeed. and you know, as in, I, I know I'm talking too much, but. uh <laughs> You know, I think in a lot of, if you look historically, when something comes in, a lot of the initial creative um, force is expressed right away. Mm -hmm. You know, the violin, you know, did anybody ever write for the violin as (laughs) violinistically as Paderewski or, you know, I mean, the piano literature, you know from the early days, Chopin, you know, mm-hmm. now people sit at the piano and they play it like a truck driver, you know, but <laughs> that's how I play, how I play
2: it, if <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm lucky. lucky yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that show where the truck driver had a monkey? That's how I play, <laughs> like a monkey would play it. You know?
1: But so Don, that curve of that initial, you know, that inspiration that launched that thing we that's the seed that is so intensely valuable and that's what I'm trying to show I don't have anyway Don Buchla called me he said if you're ever interested if you're if you're ever thinking about going back to this instrument now is the time I'm going to sell the company when was this, 2000? This was, no, this oh, was, was like five years ago. Oh, that's it? Oh, okay. Yeah. It hasn't that's been it. that long. I
2: didn't realize it was so that recently. Yeah, oh,
1: maybe six years. I don't have sense of time, but <laughs> not that long ago. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make, I can make you a good deal right now. And so I thought, oh gosh, I haven't thought about this in a long time. But I sat down and I made a list of modules and I gave it to him, and I said, I'd like to get these. And that's how I started the system.
0: The yeah. one that's in there right now?
1: Yeah. And then, as the, you know, as things went along, I, you know, he, he had the DARF. He didn't have the MARF. You know, I became aware of the differences yeah. with the 200 in the 200E. And I tried dealing with the DARF, and, and I even got two of them to make up for the fact that it wasn't multiple.
2: Multiple layers,
1: Yeah, the multiple arbitrary function generator was more multiple than the dual. (laughs) Um, But it, it wasn't performable. When you switched octaves, you know, if you switch an octave on the original one, you just flip a switch and you get discrete instant changes. With the DARF, you had, you know, this was the problem with digital in a way because it affected design. in in a way that digital is not about performance. Yeah. It's about menus and depth and layers of stuff.
2: It's like Mm -hmm. options and emulation. Okay. I I mean, maybe. Yeah. It seems like it, right? Yeah. You, like, give them a million options and that will be good.
1: Yeah. I mean, people can't even run their television sets. (laughs) There's so many, you know. So so anyway, with the DARF to change an octave, you had to go through every position. Oh. You couldn't just discreetly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A,
3: yeah. yeah. It wasn't performable.
1: Yeah. It wasn't performable. But that's the consciousness that if you don't have that front and center performability, you're not going to express it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what was lost when, when I first worked with Don, it was all about, Hey, you know, we can make an instrument a performable musical instrument in the tradition of all instruments yeah. that are performable, and that got
2: lost. It's amazing to think that there. I mean, that's fifty something years ago. That's not in history. That's, that's nothing. That's a blip. But it's amazing to think that there's even a possibility of doing that. That actually, I mean, that you were part of that. That you were there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was all fluky.
2: Yeah, and now, in the past 10 years or whatever, it's actually seen, like, the benefits of that are finally really coming to fruition, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems like it, it mm-hmm. took that long for, you know, people to kind of catch up with it, and the technology. Because I, can, I can't even imagine what people in the 50s would have, or even in, in, the 40, you know, or in the 70s, like the, your Buchla concerts, what they would have thought about. If they were normal, average people listening that liked normal music, to hear that would just, it wouldn't make any sense.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I just got a video a couple of days ago. Of a performance? Mm-hmm. And from 1974. Really? <laughs> had you seen
2: it since? No. Nope. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> I knew it was made, yeah. and I had tried since 1974 to get a copy of it, and I gave up. Who had it? The, the woman who made it died. She would never give it to me. And her daughter found herself with all these archives. This woman, you know, was a videographer in the, in the seventies. Why wouldn't she get it to Wait, you was know? that on? Um... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why? <laughs> did Why? Did you know her or? I knew all of her. I mean, I, I knew her when we did the video yeah. and okay. I contacted her many, 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 many times. To get a copy of it, and finally, I decided that it didn't exist.
2: Would she just mm. pretend that it, she didn't have it, or I mean, it's uh, kind of the money?
1: Or... <laughs> yeah. No, I offered money. Um, it, it.
2: Is it complicated? You it's know, it, complicated, yeah. and you know <laughs> what?
1: I really don't know. I can only guess, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, the daughter, a, a filmmaker in England. Uh, had asked me, well, is there any footage that you know of, historic footage that hasn't been seen? I said, well, good luck. You know, you can contact this woman. The people who did my documentary tried to get it.
2: They couldn't get it either? No. Nope. Wow.
1: Anyway, this girl got it, and so I just watched it, and it's hysterical. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It really is awesome. The audience... Looks very intrigued. You know, they're just on that journey. Uh-huh. They they don't know what it is, and they don't care. Yeah, they're an artsy crowd. You know,
2: where was the concert?
1: Bonino Gallery, uh, an uptown gallery in Manhattan. In those days, it was an uptown gallery. Then it moved down to you know Soho and
0: you, are Tribeca. You, do you have any plans for it, or you, or is it just kind of that's that's? Yours, Honestly, or? I don't
1: know if I have rights to it, yeah. um, but I know that they're working on a documentary about Don Bukla. and mm-hmm. maybe they can negotiate, you know, to get the use of it.
2: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is crazy. It is
2: crazy. Because now, I mean, everything is, you know, film. You'd have 5,000 copies from every conceivable angle, Yeah. and there's one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. cool that you got it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So the a few this the story you just told about the, the few years ago making your list and getting, you know, your your second Google system. Did that coincide or or was that a precursor to the label in Manchester wanting to release your your stuff? Was it did they just happen to happen around this kind of the same time or were they were they linked somehow?
1: Uh they happened to happen <laughs> around so the same funny. time. Yeah. But what happened with Finders Keepers? I give them credit for having Actually relaunched this segment of my career because um, I wasn't aware
3: yeah.
1: of any interest whatsoever. I when they wanted to release it, I thought, why would anybody want to hear <laughs> this stuff? Yeah, it's like take it.
2: Well, I mean, we were listening to it this morning, and it's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. wonder how much
0: yeah. that, like, <clears throat> like Eurorack started getting more popular. Like this kind of the second coming of Eurorack started getting more in, like
3: um, late, late,
0: late, like yeah, the aughts, yeah. early aughts. Um, but I feel this over the last few years, mm-hmm. it is, re- it's really, really snowballed. And when I first started getting into it, that concert series, that release of mm. yours, was one of the first things that every single person I ever talked to, oh, if you, oh, you're getting into modular, check this out. And I'm wondering how much that, and then the kind of the legacy of of you and 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 Buchla and that whole thing happening, and when it did, how much that drove. The popularity of of oh. just of just Eurorack and, and and modular synthesis becoming so popular. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah,
2: I mean, actually, in a lot in a lot of ways too. It's like since the technology came up, and it's like the the in, I hate the, the, the word, but like the industry almost needed like the lords or however you want to say it. And so it was, it was Bukla Moog, yourself, you know, and and it's you know, and you even have younger guys like Richard Divine and mm-hmm. you know whoever else. It's like you've got like the stars of the industry or whatever, because otherwise. I'm not sure how, how easy it is to get, kind of get people involved in it and get them mm-hmm, excited. Because mm-hmm. y- it's hard to get excited about an LFO.
3: You know? <laughs> well, I mean, well, it's well, fun. I'm, I like them. I but, about but it. But if you don't know about it,
2: you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like LFOs. I, I like, shouldn't talk LFOs. <laughs> LFOs are great.
1: But the other thing I notice in all these years is how the knowledge has distilled... It's very simple because when you look at what's um, distilled from that 50 years, it's very um, quantifiable. You know the elements of analog modular synthesis are pretty much defined. Yep. It actually is an instrument. It's like a piano that has an octave and 12 notes. You know whatever. And that whole system. Mm -hmm. And what you have are these modules that some are essential because they're sound sources. There's noise and there's oscillators. Then you have, you know, filters and you have gates and um, sequencers and, you know, the definable. Then from those basics, you can elaborate. I would like to see a standard module become the MARF. That that the MARF become part of the vocabulary of control because it's hierarchically more sophisticated. You know, you yeah. have controls of these things, but if you have it's like a three-dimensional sequencer. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these sequences and we have these things that can repeat and go and modify. And then you can do operations on them that bring new life to the, to the, what's the word? Raw material. I just call it raw material. My sequencer right now is not performable.
2: What are you, what sequencer is it?
1: The 251E, but it's compact. Yeah. But in the day, and I watched that film of that performance in the Benino Gallery and I realized what I, I was doing things I can't do
2: yeah. now. And you yeah. don't have anybody that you think can build, build things the way you want them?
1: Well, now that the Buchla Company is back in the States, to some degree, you know, I in had California? no... No, they were in Australia.
3: Oh, jeez.
1: And uh, it was a very dreadful situation, because basically, you know, Don made a deal with them. And They they were not honorable. Yeah,
3: Yeah, maybe we have to go in.
0: So the wind picked up and we did have to go inside. This is not the end of the episode, but I do wanna put a little break in here because this is kind of the end of where of the end of the interview. This is where we just really started hanging out and uh we were eating some homemade cheese and some cookies, and we sat down while Suzanne walked us through one of her patches on her boucla and it was uh it was pretty surreal to be sitting there next to her while she was doing that, so I'm gonna definitely share that with you um because there's no patch challenge I didn't wanna make her uh, you know i didn't want there's no patch challenge, so I figured this will be a good. Placeholder for that. Um, so yeah, we just sit there and and she she patches away and and then that that'll close out the episode. But before we get into that, I uh, I want to let my buddies tell you about this new cool thing that they're doing. Hey Kyle, yeah Robert, you ever hear that saying? There's a podcast about everything. Yeah. Well, you know what? There is not a podcast about uh, Game of Thrones after show after show. No. Podcast about Buchla modular instruments. Oh yeah, a show that would talk about Don Buchla and the classic modules he designed, and new Buchla format modules that are coming out. Hey guys, want to talk about this Eurorack rack module that doesn't have any CV attenuation? Not now, Tim. <sighs> Fine. We could spotlight whole music that's being made with Buchla
2: instruments. We can interview module designers and the musicians that play them. So we're going to do this thing let's do it and call it source of uncertainty every week. Whoa, whoa, whoa! let's start slow. Let's put one
0: out each month and go from there. Hey guys, I'm going to need those mics back. I've got work to do. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. You can have your mics back. Subscribe to source of uncertainty, a weekly podcast for you. Get it? The first episode comes out in June. So be on the lookout. So how excited are you guys? Two more modular podcasts to listen to. Um, I think I think Ben and Eds is going to come out every other week and then once a month for the Booklo one and they've got some pretty cool guests coming up for their uh, first few episodes. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Um let's go sit with Suzanne Chiani and play with her with her Booklo with her. I'm
1: going to show you just one thing. This is the yeah. So here's this, the sequences are here and there are four of them and I can't really perform them because they're stuck in that box. But they, are, they go in here as external. And now what I'm doing, so this is a higher. the sequence is moving continuously, but I have another layer here, which is wave shape modulation. So this normally is the timing control, but because I'm driving the timing from this first side, these now are free to do something else. So I have this in this wave shape. So here's the wave shape without any... Oh, and it's a variable wave shape? Yeah. That's cool. This is the 261, yeah. So now when I put this in, whenever these Well, let's put these down first. So this is strobing. It's randomly selecting a stage in time with the sequence because I have this pulse going in here and then I have uh, the strobe here. It's a random sampled voltage, okay? So let's put that back in there. And now I'm gonna take that output the timing output, and I'm going to put it in here. And when I just randomly give a voltage, when it hits that stage, it will change the wave shape. Oh, wow. I'm going to give it
2: three. Wow, it's so interesting that it's so random because you you kind of keep wanting to, like... Yeah. Get into the groove of it, and it's, it's always surprising. Wow.
3: It's cool.
1: It's the same sequence, but now you're picking off notes. Yeah. In an accented way that makes a second line. Uh huh. So I do all this stuff with two oscillators at any one time. Yeah. I have four oscillators, but uh-huh. I have only two, two control voltage outputs. Okay. Okay, so there's this control voltage I put in this one, but when I'm in it, okay, okay, so this one this this what we're hearing is just this with so this um, I have A, B, C, and D. I
2: can now change the sequence. Oh wow, so that's how you change the sequences. Yeah, oh wow, wow through slider another one see that's so much cooler than like if you have to menu die yeah yeah,
0: the performative aspect of it it's
2: It's real time and it's easy
1: and now if I bring in the second oscillator that's just being run by these so this is lower range. I can change it, though. And now, what I can do here is start to add in some octave changes. Random. It's a little out of tune, because I have the too. God,
2: yeah, it's so Ooh. alive. Wow, mine don't sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then you can put in The, the envelope. Yeah. Now, what the other cool thing that I have. Actually, do you mind if I grab my camera? Is
3: this... No,
0: sure. It's really fun. Is this all in quadraphonic right now? Yeah. Wow, oh,
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. By the way. <laughs>
0: By
1: the way, and the, also the, the other thing is,
0: is, this interfacing with your effects
3: or
1: this, these are two H9s uh-huh. that have been modified to be Buchla modules. So these are even tied H9s oh.
3: that are considered
1: oh. guitar pedals. Yeah, yeah. But and I I get upset with them all the time because they don't have a low impedance input. But I had them modified. So these have low impedance inputs and they can now be mounted in this buckler rack. So cool. And the cool thing about it is that I have a now I have a voltage control. So if this is running you can
3: do it on wow. Wow, what's that hooked up to? Yes.
0: This. Is this is this stuff on the market or is this uh um, is this yours? H
3: nine is oh.
1: and I can just change uh let's see, let's change it oh uh, uh, no, here's
2: one. Oh I can't put it. Okay. Uh, Oh wow. Well, that makes it way easier to have to even bother with that. Yeah, 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 I don't I yeah. You don't do, yeah,
1: this is more performable. Yeah. And not only that, but you can do things here with the XY axis that Okay, so uh, if it's I like, put looks
2: well, like a chaos oh, pad wow, yeah. and I can do uh tilt. What?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That is so cool. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I use this on my I lose this use this on my ocean sounds. See, so I have
2: oh, But I'm not gonna yeah. it's, kind
3: of it's kind of creepy.
2: Yeah, it's like the cross, the cross between an ocean and a psychopath right? you know, <laughs> in your ear. You know? right. <laughs> Oops, okay, let's go
1: back. No. Let's go back here. This is my... (laughs) Okay, so this, if I go into X, Y. And then I change the spatial, right? That space was moving discreetly. And now I'm going to put just a circular motion on it. From this envelope. But then I can... Oops. Let's add that
2: yeah. Pause. Are you (laughs) swirling from speakers?
1: I'm not spatially locating. I'm just making uh, changes. Let's take this off for a second because I have the voltage control on, too. Let's look at that. So, with the voltage control, it's changing the wet mix uh, right now. okay. And the space. So, see this space? it's moving in a a, it's not perfectly circular because
2: of limitations but um, So for the spatial dynamics is that going into each like one speaker each since you have four of them?
1: I have um, when I first started doing the processing you know in the old days we had you know a a spring reverb that was voltage controllable Um, now I'm using these which I love because there are so many different you know presets available these are my presets you know that i design for the there aren't that many um so i just have nine i i try to keep things simple um but what i figured out at first that's why i have two of these because i thought oh for a quad i need two right but you can't synchronize them Ah. so what i do now is i process before the space gotcha So this has the process, and then it goes in here, and I I have the left and right outputs of this because you really do need the stereo outs of this machine. So this is one H9, and this is the other H9. Oh, okay. okay. This H9, the second one, is pretty much... Uh, in during a concert, this is doing a spatial. Because if I play in a very big place, mm-hmm. and I have things very discreet, it gets a little jarring. Mm-hmm. So I have this going all the time, with a spill, so that the room itself it still has motion, but it's not. And then on top of that, I can do. Uh, well, let's see. What can I show with you? going to move this into a discrete space, random. You can see that
2: space. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's oh. change the. Uh... You put. You got to watch it because you might find a bootleg of this somewhere. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Johnny's new drum and bass album. Yeah, this is awesome. And so
1: this is going slowly, and this is. Oh, yeah. and then you know what you do with this you can take the pulse hear those okay so now we have pulses going from here but we're not getting them and why aren't we getting them because this thing has a bizarre problem (laughs) but if I take out the randomness and if I start this I guess I'm going to go back to, okay, and now, are coming off of this side and these are just still steady coming off the sequencer but this is not in sync because I don't have it patched Anyway, in, when you're performing this, you have a lot of controls that you have to interact with.
2: So when did you start using the, uh, the iPad? When? Yeah, I get, uh, yeah, when you got these, like right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right yeah,
1: now. yeah. And then the other thing that I do that I love is I have a. I was working with an engineer from Moog for a while, and one day he showed me this cool thing that he made called an Animog. Do you know that? I feel like I've heard of that. Oh, is
2: that the, the, the program that they've got?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I actually think I downloaded it, but I've never messed with it. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: I use that because I'm compact, and what more compact thing can you have than mm-hmm. an iPad? And I've played in large halls where I just put that bass in, the Moog bass. Mm-hmm. I just use it mostly for the bass, but yeah, not yeah. only for the bass. And, uh, okay, let's see. It's, it seems to be turning on. And it's just uh, super powerful. And, and, you know, if I had a bigger system, I'd I'd do it all on the Buchla, mm-hmm. you know, that bass, but I don't always have it.
0: This is already pretty big to be carting around anyways, so, Yeah. 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 So you you mentioned that you you keep kind of that space that kind of that that ocean wave space in. You you use that for when you're playing a large room. Was that something that you kind of thought of after you played a large room and you realized you needed something like that, or something that you thought of before, like, oh, this is going to be a large space. I need to fill it in in this way.
1: Well, in the first time around, you know, I didn't. Uh, I, I dealt with quad um, just through the boucle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, we played in quad right from the beginning. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. There was no other expression of this other than quad.
2: Wow. So, yeah. like, right from the get-go, that's what he wanted?
1: Yeah. From the get-go. And it makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it envelops you. Yeah.
0: yeah. That, that actually brings up a question that a friend of mine wanted. He's like, if you have time... I have some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his questions was, and it's, I don't know, it's are you surprised and bummed out with how that, the, the quad technology hasn't really, like by now it still doesn't even really like a common, it seems like that should just be the, the, the standard, but it's it's still kind of hard to, to come by in you live know, performance. Yes,
1: know. and things have changed. I mean, for one thing, spatial uh, sound, has gotten a foothold mostly in theatrical mm-hmm. situations. And now there's a lot of work being done in multi you know, large multi-speaker situations. Mm-hmm. But it's only this type of instrument that has a, a, a nascent, a, an organic connection mm-hmm. to spatial movement. All the other ones are post-production. And it doesn't have meaning to move a lot of musical sound. It doesn't have meaning. Whereas this, the movement of the sound, is integral to the whole instrument. Actually, there's something
2: I've, I've read that you said before, too, that you, you know, Buchloh's take wasn't so much trying to get the sound, it was trying to like create the movement of the sound. Right. Which is something I actually really never thought about. Because you know, when I start up my, my synth, it's like, all right, what's the sound I want to get? And then you move from there. But it's, you know, like when you play this, it's alive. Yes, and you can play, you know, a synth that has a, an amazing sound, not a lot. So it's right. It's yeah. just a, it's a different way of thinking. And actually, I mean, it's 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 so interesting. Like both Buchla and Mo were about the same time, like with different philosophies, but this, you know, similar technology. Yes. To, you know, and and it's it's. I mean, to meld them both is,
1: you know. It's all about the interface. Yeah. Right. Because uh, when you're playing with a keyboard interface, you're not.
2: You're you're almost like a slave to it when you're playing a keyboard. Like, you think it's
1: about the sound. Yeah, and or
2: the notes mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the it, notes. Yeah, it's one or the other. And maybe the sound is a sound.
1: byproduct of this. I mean, yeah. I'm not controlling the sound for every note. Every note is different. Yeah. <laughs> because it's in you know it's in motion right. It's it's alive. Just as you said, it is alive. So it's not just the way the sound moves spatially. It's about the way the sound moves. If you're playing a keyboard, you know that's uh, not alive in the way that you know. If I'm playing this, let's let's put something in here. One minute on my little sequences, uh, say just to fool around with something. Oops, let's get this
3: uh here. <laughs>
1: oh I have this going shit it I'm makes sorry. me feel
0: so much better because I, you know, you're know, you always showing people stuff on your synth, and it makes me feel better to see that even, even <laughs> Susie and Johnny is like, oh wait what's wait, oh, oh,
1: hold well, on I, 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 moved stuff. I moved stuff to show you stuff you know yeah. and now I have to move it back because <laughs> okay so I have all this stuff out of sync here so let's get this back let's get this back okay so now I have made my glasses okay I I took everything apart to show you something, and that's what I did. Okay, Okay, so that's still going in there, that's still going in there. So
3: if
2: I... What's the difference between guitar and modular guitar? It's like you find your sound you stick with it, and yeah. changing it usually. Especially that numerous times, or like all the time. Yeah. Makes sense. Even that stuff's so good. So good. I've never, I don't
0: think we've There's space. You yeah,
3: know, kind of like Yeah.
0: doing this right now. Sounds really cool. It does sound I love standing in the middle of these four speakers and having it and just swirling around.
1: It's like that this was something that I wanted to touch on earlier too, about you know whether people notice the connection between what you're doing and the sound. The fact is, is that the performer is more engaged. When you're just hitting play and you're doing a sample thing, your energy connection to what you're doing is less. I mean, yes, you're in the sound and all of that. But when you're engaged in this and, you you know, it's the energy connection, people feel that. Mm -hmm. when They're on a journey with you. You're there. You know, if a performer, if you had a violinist who just went up and played their last recording while mimicking whatever, I I mean, it's not, the performance is not there. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: When that person is at risk... And in the moment, and in the moment of creation, that energy translates.
2: Yeah, you're vulnerable. I mean, yeah. the power could go out and you've got nothing. Or, and that's happened. I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I've, I've had that happen too, where the road's blowing up while you're in right. the building. You know, saying, no. And then people clap and it's even worse. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> over. That's a
0: good idea. Right. Right. Well, so, and, and, well... So kind of along that vein, as far as like performance and, and writing, I'm kind of curious. You've spent a lot of time composing for piano, and then you've spent a lot of time composing for you know electronic synthesizer music. How are those different? Like sections of your brain, is there is there some connective tissue between those, or and and do you feel like one is more your career voice than the other, or?
1: I think that, you know, they complement each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I went back to piano, I was struck by how, you know, because in in electronics, you know, you had a great revolution was when velocity sensitivity yeah. came in yeah. or yeah. pressure yeah. sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the velocity of love it was uh-huh. because there was suddenly velocity.
2: Before that it was just been of love. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, no velocity.
1: And <laughs> then you go back and you say, "Oh my god, this is so you know, it's yeah. just a different experience and you can appreciate it more. Uh, but do they, there are areas compositionally where they overlap, and I think in all music, not just mine,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, you see techniques that evolved from electronic consciousness applied to music like Philip Glass.
3: Yeah,
1: You know, those uh, unending, pounding sequences of things that humans are doing. Uh, and in, in my writing, I had that synthesis of classical background with electronic techniques or sensibilities, that's what I call it. So it might have to do with a you know uh the, the sequencing type of rhythm. I think baroque music
2: mm-hmm.
1: had a lot of that connection.
2: Yeah, like actually I mean if you think about a sequencer and you think about Moonlight Sonata, I mean Moonlight Sonata is just a you know a yeah. variable sequence. Yes. So I mean the it connections is. there. And actually it's it's really amazing to think about bukla. And Moog, too, but I won't, you know. But more, more Bukla, I mean, when you think about I wouldn't even say I'm just, I mean, he was a genius, Yeah. obviously. Yeah, mean, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, the guy was yeah. off the charts. Yeah and, yeah, and
2: I totally get Moog's thing about making this accessible to the average person, but, mm-hmm. but that's... And that's what he did. Yeah, and it's, yeah, but it's totally...
1: Different sensibility. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Can't get there from no. there. And, and, and
2: Jobs <laughs> or Gates and oh no, yeah. Who? Actually I was I was curious, so you were in Berkeley in the sixties, like mid to late sixties, is that right? Yes. So
1: not mid. I got there in sixty eight. Okay. So
2: yeah. but but you said before that you that this and it's I'm sure true that like the synthesis that was happening, or just the, it was like a male club, basically, a men's yes, club. Yes, it was. But yeah. how different, because Berkeley was pretty, I mean, wasn't it, had it been opened and liberated at that point, or was it still in the 70s, it was, was it the 70s that it kind of became more that way? I mean.
1: It was socially liberated. In other words, everything was um, self-defined. You know, you didn't go along with an agenda or program or societal norm, right? You made your own rules and you thought Originally, you yeah. know, women's lip was just starting. They had bra burnings. You know, women took all their bras and they put them in a big mountain and they burned them as a symbolic gesture yeah. about, you know, what was prioritized about a woman's being, you know. And we're still in that oh, now, and but we're at the peak. Again, I haven't seen in my life that was, you know, when I came of age in the 60s that was a height of women's consciousness starting and now we're back yeah at that height again it, it, there's a big trough in there and and so this is even more advanced than what ours was
2: yeah it's yeah. It, i mean it's really intense right now yeah obviously mm-hmm. which is good though because it needs to change and it's you know, it yeah must have had to change i mean I can't, as a guy, I can't be like it is
0: changing. But I've talked, I've talked to a number of you know, like like Sarah Bell Reed, Caitlin Royalis Smith. There's like a, there's there's a lot of really um, Alyssa Derubis with all, all the work that she's doing with this S1 library and stuff. There's it's cool to see like a, in specifically like the modular world. There's a there's a huge movement of like
3: well,
2: it's, it's great to
0: see just the, to... the boys. Well, yeah.
3: I hate
1: to say it, but women were the pioneers mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. You had in England, you had Delia I didn't even know Delia Derbyshire until yeah. I learned through finder's keepers. I played this year at Royal Albert Hall as part of a female pioneer series and they oh. premiered a piece by Daphne Oram. Have you heard of her? No. Okay. Daphne Oram was the one that started the radiophonic workshop huh. where Delia got her start. Yeah. She composed a piece in 1943 for two orchestras and processing, electronic processing, and had never been heard. So she took, she had one orchestra, second orchestra, and a barrier between the microphones, she put microphones on this orchestra. And then she processed it in those days. It was through, like, uh, wax cylinders and stuff, you know, recording direct... Not wax cylinders, but direct to... uh, acetate,
2: right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And did we ever hear her? No. No. So the fact is, yes, there are women in this now. Mm -hmm. But guess what? There always have been. Yeah. They've been invisible.
2: Well, I mean, Pauline Oliveros. I mean, she started... Well, she was there about the same time you were.
1: I don't think of her as electronic, you know. I think okay. she's a philosopher, and yeah. I think, uh, you know, um, I, I think, uh, tw- what, four minutes and 33 seconds, you know.
2: What's his name? Stuart Dumpster?
1: No, 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 no. Oh, God.
2: Okay, I think I don't need to eat something. <laughs> I'm trying to think who. I
1: have a narrow concept of, you know, electronics, I
3: have
2: to say. Okay, so I'm going to wash my hands, I'm going to put out some food, and, uh... Do you want me to see if I can turn on the uh, ribbon controller and see what
0: happens? And there it is, PodModBods, the Suzanne Chiani episode. Um, I've been sitting on this recording since late 2018, uh, waiting for waveform to come together and get released, and then, uh, that happened, and I, I saw episode 60 on the short horizon, so i was like you know what that seems like a good benchmark of the show episode 60 suzanne Ciani. thank you again suzanne so much for having us over again i can say this without any over sentimentality that that will go down as one of the most um uh i don't know i don't even know what the word is uh, one of, one of the most memorable experiences of my entire life probably a very meaningful experience and I, I think back on it often I'm getting kind of sentimental I just said I wouldn't get overly sentimental but it meant a lot it was a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoyed this again if you uh, want to go and join the Patreon just help, help support the show there is uh, like 25 to 40 minutes of some bonus content there uh, from that day so uh, yeah go check that out And go check out obsidiansound.net if you want some stuff mastered or if you want some mixed notes or if you want stuff mixed. Nathan Moody has got the goods. Uh, Needham Woodworks, if you are in the market for um, some fine furniture that will power and hold all your Eurorack modules, um, yeah, go to needhamwoodworks.com. Logain-audio.com definitely having a lot of fun with this dub matrix don't forget to check out our our pals uh with the source of uncertainty podcast coming out soon and uh esoteric modulation um i'm really excited that we're gonna have this like family of modular podcasts because i mean i listen to like probably 30 different comedy podcasts and you know, there's only been, like, kind of two up until now. I guess you can cu- you can count Darwin in there. He talks to to modular people. But, like, there's me and Mylar and now Ed and Ben. And then the Source of Uncertainty guys with the Bugle stuff. We got all your stuff covered. We got all your needs covered. Also, check out expertsleepers.co.uk uh, to find out what these new uh, algorithms for the Disting Mark IV are. Um, I'm kind of teasing you with it because I want you to go find them out and we're going to learn about them in the weeks to come. Also, the little Mikey, I've been having probably too much fun with that and uh, the fun has not stopped. I'm going to be back with that vocoder. You know I will. Um, Also, just want to give a shout out to uh, my buddy Greg Markle over at Recovery Effects. He's doing some really, really cool stuff and uh, I think you should keep an eye on him and uh, check out the existing modules. So, I think with all of that... uh, Thank you so much for listening and until next week.